Welcome to No Ordinary, Ordinary Women, the podcast where two ordinary broads chat about extraordinary women, the good, the bad, and, and the, the bad shit crazy. Hi, I'm Lynn. Hi, I'm Rose. We're the quiet girls. <laughs> Wrong. <laughs> I am, but Lynn is not. Rose, you're not quiet either. Yes, I am. Your kids tell me you yell at them all the time. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Joseph comes either. to my house crying. He's like, my mom won't stop yelling at me. <laughs> yeah. You know okay. me. I yelled at my kids too. Um, so how are you today, Rose? How's your week been so far? Um, it's been extremely busy. Yeah, mine too. No, really, really busy. What have you been doing? Just work has been insanely oh. busy. I mean, I just like... Yeah, it's crazy, but it is what it is. It's better than the alternative, not having a job, I guess. That's true. That's true, Lynn. Yep. Always be grateful. Hashtag blessed. Hashtag blessed. <laughs> your heart. Bless your heart, girl. So, um, we, um, I did, today, the cocktail is... Not a cocktail. It's not a, well, it is a little bit. That's it's kind a of, yeah. It's, it's a Rattler. And it is uh, in Germany they serve them. Um, there's a couple reasons why they say they serve them. I, I read a couple different things. But one of them is back when they you couldn't drink the water in Europe, they made rattlers so kids could drink beer. What? Yeah. Because there was a time, a period of time that you couldn't, people couldn't drink water, the water in Europe. And so they made, the kids drank beer. Did so they have they, any other alternative? I guess not. Maybe it was during, I don't know. I, I should crazy. know this historically, but I don't. They have milk? So maybe they couldn't get milk. I don't know. Was it the they Great Depression? Cows? I have no idea. They still had cows in the Great Depression. Anyway, so they made it. Other, And then like a shandy in London, I heard um, that it was designed so like a businessman could go out to lunch and have a beer. And the beer is like usually stronger in Europe. And it, they would have a shandy, which was like mixed with lemonade or something. So... It would it wouldn't be as strong and it could go back to work. So the Rattler, I actually bought the nice German um Pauliner, Paulaner, Paul Anner, Paulaner, um, Hefeweizen. And it's um it's made in Munich. And uh, so I mixed that half a beer with half of a can of Sprite. And it's pretty darn good. Is it? I love it. What do you mean, is it? You drink, <laughs> bitch, you drank it and you said you liked it? It I'm just, just goes down a little bit. I drank this when we were... It goes really quickly. Yeah. <laughs> it's really I, easy to drink. I drank this when we were in Austria and Germany a lot because we were, like, hiking and we'd hike up to, like, a little restaurant on the side of the mountain. Yeah. I didn't want to drink a, a beer. full German yeah, beer because right. I would be, like, rolling down the mountain. So, <laughs> yeah. And I just found I love them. They're so good. So, yeah. It is really good. So happy October We're going to have to have like six since it's only really half a beer. Yeah, technically. <laughs> I didn't use Diet Sprite, so it's still really fattening though. To which... celebrate Oktoberfest, we have beer and um, tacos. Tacos. <laughs> because we can eat tacos for every single meal, without a doubt. And my family, like, Chris is always like, we're not having Mexican. Oh, I love Mexican I know, food so, so much. El Salvadorian, all that stuff. Yeah. Oh my God, it's so good. Same, girl, same. So you ready to hear my story, Rose? I am. It's a good one, girl. It is a good one. Is it? Yeah. It's good. She good. <laughs> she good. She good. All right. Um, Have at it. Alice Crimmins was a beautiful woman who was charged with a heinous crime. Her case would flood the headlines for 12 years. Whoa. Did she do it or did the police just hate her? She did it. <gasps> Rose. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Alice I actually don't know... I don't recognize that name at all. This is this was um, one another one that my mom told me to do. I was oh, like, really? give me, always just give me suggestions if you have any. And she's like, oh, this. And you had done a story about a woman who was accused of killing some people. And so I was going to do oh, this one. Lori I was like, Vallow. Yeah. And I was yeah. like, let me wait because I didn't want it to be. That's why I did Marsha Clark. Because my mom gave me the Marsha Clark idea as well. So Wow. She yeah. never gives me ideas. Well, that's because she doesn't like you like she doesn't like me. <laughs> <laughs> She doesn't like you less than she, she doesn't, doesn't like, like me. Yeah, she doesn't like me less than she doesn't like you. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, so Alice was born on March 9th, 1939 in the Bronx, New York, into a very strict Catholic family. Alice was anxious to get out of her parents' house. And the only way to really do it at this time in you know history was to get married. I don't know why women, I guess it was just like women just didn't go to school back then, I, I guess, is all I can think of. Yeah. What um, year, wait, what year is this? 
did you say? She, well, she was born in 1939, so like 59 or whatever. Okay. So she's 20, you know. Um, so she ended up marrying Eddie Crimmins when she was 19, and she really loved him. She was like madly in love with him. They soon had two children, and their names were Eddie Jr. and Alice Jr. <laughs> Shut up. That's Alice Jr.? Well, they, they didn't call her Jr., but her name was Alice. She They named the son after the father and the mother and the daughter after the mother, That's which is so a little weird. Funny. But they, her name, they called her Missy instead of Alice, the daughter. It's so weird. Like, yeah. there's so many names. I don't understand it. So they lived in a garden apartment in Queens. In Queens, so the Bronx wasn't always the... A super safe place. Like the yeah. Bronx in Manhattan back in this time was a little rougher. Yeah, right. And Queens was a nicer area. Okay. Um, a, a nicer a borough. It's one of the boroughs. Is Queens nice now? Yeah, it's nicer now. Okay. Yeah, it is. Like, that's where in, like Astoria is, where Mary lived. And, okay. Um, before, yeah. And um, it's Queens is very nice. Eddie Sr. was a big drinking. Drinking. <laughs> I'm a big drinking too. I'm a big drinking too. Well, cheers. Let me have a little drink. Have another sip of my beer and then try and read again. Eddie Sr. was a big drinker and would often decide that he'd rather hang out in the bar with his buddies than go mm. home to his wife and kids. Same. I feel that way often. <laughs> no, I just bring Penelope with me to the bar. <laughs> you don't leave her at home. Alice was a very sexual woman oh, just like and you. was tired of being lonely. Just like you. She was beautiful, sexy, and admired by many men. Just like me. Just like you, yes. (laughs) She always looked put together and never left the house without a full face of makeup. So Alice had some really intense acne scarring from when she was younger. Okay. So nobody ever recalls seeing her without a full face of makeup on. Oh, really? She's part of who she was. And she took really good, you know, like she took a lot of care and... Her hair always looked amazing. She had so LGTC did this one, and Brady's like she was rocking some awesome hairstyles. Oh, really? You know, Brady's like a hairdresser, day, yeah. yeah. And she was like, all of her hairstyles and all the pictures are amazing, and I think so too. So while she was still married to Eddie, she started dating other men. She's like, I'm tired of being alone. So in early 1965, Alice and Eddie decided to call it quits. He wasn't happy about her dating others. I can't imagine what? why. He's such a douche. Wait, come on, <laughs> just a little thing like that. No kidding. So they're going through a divorce, and she was dating. She was dating a couple. She was definitely dating two people, and possibly dating others. Um, so one of her, the guys she was dating, was very wealthy, very wealthy, and he lived out on Long Island and was married. But that didn't stop him ever. And he had a boat, and Alice and a girlfriend of hers went and met him on the dock, and they were in his boat. Like I guess they were just partying or whatever. Yeah. And she and the, her girlfriend went to the bathroom together, and they got locked in the bathroom. <gasps> and the boat left the dock with her trapped in the bathroom. So she was gone for like a week. <gasps> so Eddie, so the, the kids were with a sitter that night because she was coming back home. So Eddie found this out, and he was pissed. He's like, you left the kids. And I don't know. Oh, I, mean, no, I kind yeah. of feel like, oh, oops, we got locked in the bathroom. We yeah. can't come back. I don't know. I, but I don't know. Oh, my I, God. I'd be so pissed if I was him. <laughs> <laughs> well, he wasn't home with the kids. They were they were living apart. I know, but he just left them. She just, I mean, the no, show, the I'd be sitter too. called him and was like, hey, your wife ne- or your yeah, whatever she, never, she never came, came back. home. Right. So he was pissed, needless to say. And it wasn't long before there was a custody battle. Eddie was living nearby and would come by Alice's house often, as she was known for her promiscuous lifestyle, and Eddie didn't like the thought of her being with anyone else. Yeah, Eddie's of course he didn't. a little weird, Rose. He worked as an airline mechanic at JFK and worked, and she worked as a cocktail waitress and received a lot of attention. Um, so Eddie, while she was dating others and he wasn't living there, he installed a microphone in her bedroom oh and would God. sneak into the basement of the apartment building. And listen when Alex had men o- Alice had men over in her room. So this was in the 50s, 60s? Yeah, in the 60s. So what did that look like? <laughs> like a microphone back then? Yeah, it, was pr- it probably was like a microphone on a wire, and he ran it down oh, into the basement. Oh, and then listened to it? Yeah. Oh, my God. What a weirdo. Yeah, because it wouldn't be wireless Why did he back listen? Because like, he's fucking weird. You think he like, turned him on? I don't know. I swear to God, my ex had fucking... Like shit and wires in my house. Really? But yeah. I mean, so one time he was down in the basement and she had a guy in the room and he didn't like what he was hearing. So he busted in the bedroom, <laughs> chased the guy out. Oh my God. Without any clothes on. 
And yeah. Was he like, you're not doing it right. You're not turning me on. (laughs) This is bullshit. (laughs) So he watched her house constantly. We we like to call this now, Rose. Stalking. Stalking, yes. (laughs) I didn't call it then. Back then it was, she's being hysterical. Yeah, she's hysterical and he's a man that wants wants his family. He just loves his wife. So no one knew Eddie was treating Alice this way. Like nobody knew it. So she kept it very much to herself. Even her own mother was siding with him in the custody battle, saying that she was basically like a floozy oh, and she no. was a fit mother. Yeah. So it's just because she cared about how she looked and she enjoyed having sex. It means, you know, to everybody, she's a bad mother. So the morning of July 14th, 1965, she wakes up around nine o'clock and she goes in to wake up her kids and they weren't in their beds. And she was like, mm, that's weird. So she called Eddie and she was like, are the kids with you? And he was like... No, what are you talking about? And she's like, Eddie, stop messing around. Like, yeah. don't mess with me. This is serious. I, the kids are not here. I can't find them. And he's like, he's like, I don't have the kids. And she's like, please don't do this to me. Yeah. And so he's like, I really don't have the kids. So he left work and came, oh, no. came to her house. So she calls the police and word spread, spreads quickly that there are children missing in the neighborhood. Um, so the kid's bedroom faced the front of the like uh, the front of the building, okay, and the screen was knocked out of the window, and there was a a porter's cart under the window with a box in it. So a porter's cart is like a um, it's like an old baby carriage. Yeah, they've taken the bassinet out of and put a wooden like crate in it. Okay, so you could like move, you carry go groceries, whatever. Okay, and then there was another wooden crate inside box inside of that porter cart. Okay. To, so somebody could climb in the climb window. In the window, right, yeah. Right under the window. Okay. Alice had taken the kids to a park that day um, to have a picnic lunch. They stopped at the store on the way home, and she started dinner when they arrived at home. She said she made veal and green beans and fed the kids. After dinner, she and the kids went for a ride in the car. Later, Alice would say that she actually went by Eddie's house to see if he was home so she knew he wouldn't be harassing her or watching her that uh, night. Oh, okay. So around 9 p.m., she was putting the kids to bed, and they were saying their prayers. Alice was busy um, cleaning the house because she was expecting a visit from one of the uh, court officers regarding the custody battle. So she was, like, cleaning the house. Um, A neighbor walked past the building and heard the kids saying their prayers as their window was right by the sidewalk. Before Alice went to bed, she woke up Eddie and asked him if he had to go to the bathroom. She took him to the bathroom, and she said Missy wouldn't wake up. Um, she was just like sleeping too hard. So the kids had a lock on the outside of their door, like a hook and eye lock. Yeah. And she said it was because little Eddie would wake up in the middle of the night and raid the refrigerator, like eat everything oh out of the refrigerator, like almost like unconsciously. <laughs> yeah. So she had the lock on the outside of the door, but she couldn't remember if she had locked it this night. Oh, okay. She couldn't remember. Um, there was no signs in the struggle of a struggle in their bedroom at all. The beds were like unmade, like they had just like stood up. There was nothing. Right. And the, and the screen was out of the window. The window was open. And apparently one of the police officers said that or the detective said that there was a um, there was dust on the dresser that was right in front of the window. So there's no way somebody came in and out of the window oh, because it would have disturbed the dust. Okay. Right. So I remember that. So the police presence became heavier and heavier as the day went on. Everyone figured they'd find the kids right away as the kids had climbed out the window before. Oh, my God. And a neighbor found them walking down the sidewalk in their PJs. Oh, my God. (laughs) One time at night, like early evening. And so they were just like little mischievous. That's probably because they were locked in there. (laughs) They're like, we have to get out somehow. Like, she going to lock us in here? We're going to go this way. But the kids never went far. Like, they had done this before, but they never went far. Right, they were, like, right, right out in the street. Yeah. So the neighbors thought it was... The neighbors all thought that it had to do with the custody battle. Like, something was going on yeah, between right. Alice like, and Eddie, and, you yeah, know, it's the custody him. battle. So as the police started asking the neighbors, they became suspicious of Alice. There was a rumor in the neighborhood of a bushy-haired red man trying to lure a young boy out of his apartment. But red, red man? Red-haired oh. man. <laughs> a red man. It was like a red, a red man. A red-haired man. But, I mean, nobody... Like, that was it. There was rumors about that, and that's where it ends. Yeah. You'll never hear me talk about it again. Oh, okay. Unfortunately. Oh, so they, so that, they didn't, like, look into it. No, fuck no. Yeah. The detectives were questioning Alice and Eddie at, at Alice's apartment. They split <laughs> them up and questioned them. The one detective said, you take the husband, I'll take the bitch. Oh! <gasps> I would fucking elbow drop that motherfucker. 
Oh, my God. They didn't like her from the moment they walked in the door. Eddie said that the Oh, my God. Is this the one where she put makeup on before the cops came or something? Yeah. That's, I remember that from LGTC. Oh, yeah, yeah, And then they had the big discussion of, like, would you do that? Yeah, because they, well, it's funny because in that episode when they were talking about it, she was like, well, we didn't, we, we didn't feel, we were half an hour late filming this episode because neither one of us had makeup on and we were not going to film without makeup. Like, the funny thing is that I like film all the time without um, <laughs> that was before Brandy had her daughter, mm-hmm. and she, they were saying at a, at a later Brandy said she would for sure put makeup on. Like they would both both said they would yeah. for sure put makeup on before going to meet with the cops or going out to look for the kids. And then at a later episode, after she had had her daughter, um, either someone asked that question or Kristen asked it to her, and she still said she would. I, I'm pretty sure she said well, she would, and them, I'm like, no way in hell would. I, I mean, oh, I wouldn't either. Both of them, both of them said that they would definitely have their makeup on, but I don't wear makeup. That, like I come here and record all the time without makeup. Yeah, right. But if we're gonna record, like film, I always put makeup on. Yeah, right. I don't wear makeup except when I go to work or if I'm going out with friends. Yeah, that's kind of how I am. Yeah. Like at home, like I don't ever wear it. Like like just if I'm just at going home to the yeah. store, or I go to the grocery thing. No, then nobody my... can recognize me because they're like, oh, look at that sister. troll. That's what Brady said. She said if she goes out and she doesn't have makeup on, she wears big sunglasses, a scarf across her face, <laughs> and a big a baseball, <laughs> like a scarf, a scarf across her that's face. That's so funny. So anyway, Eddie said the night that the kids disappeared, he went by Alice's house around two forty-five to see if she was home. He was finishing up at the bar. Then he called Alice on the phone and yelled at her because he had a message at his house about a maid they had hired who was claiming that Alice never paid her. He was drunk when he was yelling at Alice. Oh, okay. So he was like, this maid said, I heard you guys are going to court, and Alice never paid me. Basically, she was blackmailing them to say, I'll testify for you or you. Like, she was trying to work oh, against okay, each other. Oh, okay, yeah. So then, um, so then he said he went home, watched a movie, and read. But the police found out that the movie he claimed to watch was on much earlier than he oh. had claimed to have watched it. The detectives accepted Eddie's shitty alibi. Didn't of ask another yeah. question about it. Alice revealed to the detective that she had two boyfriends. The detective was annoyed by Alice's appearance. He was standing in her bedroom with her while she was sitting on the bed. And he's like, "Show." well, I watched um, a, a movie about it, like a, a episode about it. Yeah. And basically, the, the cop's like looking around the room and like she's got a bra hanging on the bed post and like she's got makeup yeah. and pantyhose on her dresser. And he's just like looking around like disgusted because she looks nice. She's put together and she has makeup on. So she revealed that she had the two boyfriends, and the detective was annoyed by her. He was annoyed by her appearance. He was like this Catholic detective and was like, you know, you're basically trash to me. Yeah, right. He was judging her because she was wearing makeup and dressed nicely. She was wearing form-fitting pants, and that was just too much for this Catholic dude. He was like, what does this woman think she is? (laughs) Later that day, the police um, called up Alice, and they said they wanted to take her somewhere to show her something. So she gets in the car with the detectives. Um, and they were, she gets in the back seat of the car and all the neighbors are like, oh, what's going on? Which, why, you know, why is she getting in the car? Well, she's in the car and she's like touching up her makeup as she's riding in the car with them. She's like in the back seat and she's oh putting powder on yeah. and, you know, fixing her makeup and everything. Cause she was very self-conscious about her scars. And the media was like all outside of her yeah. house too. So they drove to a vacant lot about eight blocks from her home and showed her the body of Missy <gasps> laying in a field. She had like uh, loosely uh, the she had a shirt wrapped around like her neck loosely and just a pair of panties on laying. In oh this field. no! Um, so Alice fainted as soon as she saw her. Like they brought her out there and made her identify. Oh my god, Lynn! Made that's her awful. identify Missy. Isn't that fucking? He didn't even prepare her. Just like here, look. Isn't that such oh a dick move? Oh my god, that's awful. It's like inhumane. So they because brought... in his head he thinks she did it. Like right. He's oh yeah. He's like I'm gonna get it. a reaction yeah. out of right. her. Right. So they brought her back home and the media was out in front of her house and screaming and yelling at her and she started sobbing and so they took that as oh now she's only crying for the cameras. Yeah. And I'm like no it's probably you she's probably in literally in medical shock. Right. And all these cameras in her face like kind of snapped oh her out God. of it. Yeah. I, it just makes me freaking sick. She started to cry and she ran in the house. So apparently Missy Missy was asphyxiated sometime between 10 and 4 a.m., but Eddie Jr. was still missing. Four days later, they found Eddie Jr. wrapped in a blue blanket. They couldn't determine a cause of death because his body was so decomposed. I mean, it was that summer. fast. 
Jeez. The medical examiner said Missy. The medical examiner said Missy's stomach contained potatoes, peas, carrots, pasta, and some sort of green, like stringy, like vegetable, like bean, green beans, or something like that. And Alice said she prepared veal for them for dinner that night with string beans. So the detective um, that hated her remembers going into the house the the next that morning and seeing a box of manicotti frozen manicotti like in the you know the box of it for a freezer meal in the trash along with um a bunch of liquor bottles and so he was like oh didn't take a picture of it didn't collect it for evidence and nothing he just remembers it so he also saw all the liquor bottles, like I said, in the trash and assumed she was, like, binge drinking that night. And that's oh, why he God. killed her. She, that's why she killed the, the kids. The cops asked Eddie to take a lie detector test, and he passed. So they just stopped talking about him. They were like, eh, you know. Then it, then it was found out later. Um, he went to the library the day before he was to take the, the lie detector test and studied about lie detectors all day. Oh, like no. Books, read books about it. So Eddie talked Alice into taking a lie detector test because he didn't think she had done anything either. And then she would be eliminated as well as, an, as a, as a um, suspect. suspect. And so she was sitting in the room with the cop. They have her all strapped up to the lie detector test. And she sees the room beside her with the mirror, yeah. you know, like the two-way mirror. And she hears people like laughing in that room. And they're asking her, like, you know, what's your name? What's your birthday? Where do you live? All those basic questions. And they start asking her questions about the kids. And she hears the, that's when she hears the laughing in the next room. And she looks over and she sees, like, a cigarette, like like when somebody draws yeah, a cigarette and it gets bright. Right. She could see it through the two-way glass. And she ripped off all the wires. She's like, I'm out of here. Fuck you, people. I'm not doing it. I'm yeah, not. Yeah, this is ridiculous. Up. I mean, they're all in there laughing at her. Yeah. And So she was disgusted. She was like, that's it. So she continued to go out go to the bars, drink, meet men, and bring them home. The police had to figure out how to get her to talk. So they said. The police's theory was that she wanted her kids out of her life so she could continue with her swinging lifestyle. One of her boyfriends, Tony Grace, Anthony, Tony Grace, was a contractor from Long Island. Some say he was a mo- he was mob connected and he was very wealthy. He was the one I was telling you about. The night the kids disappeared, Tony was at a bar with four other women, so he brushed off Alice when she called to see if he would come over. Her other boyfriend, Joe Rorick, called her and invited her to come out to a bar on Long Island, but she told him she couldn't because she didn't have a sitter. Joe had a wife and seven kids on Long Island, oh but my that, God. Never, that never stopped him. <laughs> that poor woman. Yeah, well, Tony was married, too. So. so Joe was a man in serious trouble. His business dealings were going sour, and he was drowning in debt. His long-suffering wife, had to get a job selling encyclopedias door to door. Oh, my God. He had written a raft of bad checks to it in attempt to hold off his creditors and was in serious legal trouble. Trying to stay one step ahead of the cops and creditors, he had taken, u- taken to using variety of a- aliases. Joe was bisexual, and the cops found out. Oh, boy. They threatened to expose him if he didn't cooperate with the police and try to get Alice to confess. So you can you can imagine in a Catholic you know big Catholic community. Yeah. So the cops put a wire on Joe, but Alice never said anything incriminating. At this point, the police had Alice's house, bedroom, and phone. T- her house, mostly her bedroom, and her phone tapped. Alice knew they were listening, so she would put on a show. She'd get on the phone and she'd be like, she'd answer the phone. She'd like, "Hi, boys, like go to hell," and then she'd start talking. Whatever she was. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't long before she decided she needed to get a better job. She was hired in a few places under her maiden name, Burke. Once the police found out she was working, where she was working, they'd go to her employer and tell them who Alice was, and she would lo- immediately get oh, fired. Oh, no. Like, See, this went on for almost three years, Rose. Oh, my God. Are three you years. Almost three years. Listening to everything in her life, right, in all the time, she did not say one incriminating thing. Nothing. The district attorney... But attorney, they could... But, okay... Who would she say something incriminating to if she killed them by herself? Well, if she... Like, she's not going to tell somebody that she killed them. Well, I mean, they're just hoping she'll say something to somebody. Yeah. I guess, like, kind of slip up. Yeah, maybe something that they realized at the scene that they hadn't released or something like that. Well, maybe, yeah. You know. But, um, so... um, 
the district attorney finally said that they had to stop harassing her and because they had no evidence. He's like, you know, and can you imagine the amount of money they spent on this? No shit. Surveillance? Yeah. And they're in New York. It's not like... Yeah, and they were like renting... There's not much crime going on. <laughs> there was... Re- no, they were, they were renting a place across from her so they could listen to everything, too. So they were spending oh my money God. on that. Yeah. So the detectives, in a last-ditch effort, went through all of the evidence again. They found an anonymous letter dated November 30th, 1966, and addressed to then-District Attorney Nat Hentel that said as follows, Dear Mr. Hentel, have been reading about you bringing the Crimmins case to the grand jury, and I'm glad to hear it. May I please tell you of an incident that I witnessed? It may be connected and may not, but I will feel better telling you. This was on the night before the children were missing. But, as the press reported that a handyman saw them at the window that morning, it may not be related at all. I didn't read that or see that anywhere else. The night was very hot and I could not sleep. I went into the living room and was looking out the window getting some air. This was 2 a.m. A short while later, a man, a woman, a man and a woman were walking down the street toward 72 Road. The woman was about five feet tall in black. I'm sorry. The woman was about five feet in back of the man. She was holding what appeared to be a bundle of blankets that were white under her left arm and was holding a little child walking with her, holding his holding her right hand. Now he hollered at her to hurry up. She told him to be quiet or somebody would see us. At that moment, I closed my window, which squeaks, and they looked up but did not see me. The man took the white bundle and heaved it into the back of the back seat of the car. She picked up the little baby and sat with him in the back seat of the car. This woman was then this woman was then with dark hair. The man was tall, not heavy, with dark hair and a large nose. This took place under the street light, so I was able to see it quite plainly. The car turned from the corner of 153rd Street onto 72 Road and out to Kissania, Kissina Boulevard. Please forgive me for not signing my name, but I'm afraid to. Wishing you the best of luck, a reader. P.S. About one hour later, I thought I saw just the man getting into a late model white car. The police analyzed the letter intently. They found a clue in the phrase down the street towards the 72nd road that enabled them to narrow the search down to a reasonable block of residences. They then re- reduced that none um, that to those not having air conditioners beside their windows. So they were like, this is the best detective work they did in the whole case. <laughs> so they figured out who didn't have an air conditioner. So they would be hanging their head out the window because they were hot and who didn't have an air conditioner next door. So they wouldn't be able to hear. Oh, what was okay. Going yeah. On. So they came up with a possible 39 apartments. So then they've got to figure out who it is in these yeah. 39 apartments. So the handwriting in the anonymous letter was compared with samples of complaint letters from the apartments leading them to Sophie Iramorsky. Iramors- oh, wow. Yeah. That was pretty good detective work. It's the only thing they did do correct. So Iramorsky was a middle-aged, heavyset blonde who often suffered from insomnia. When the investigators interviewed her, they found her story somewhat revised from the original letter. Imagine that. Sophie told the police that she now recalled the woman saying, my God, don't throw her like that. (laughs) Yeah, that's a pretty big detail. Yeah, right. While the letter described an incident that may be connected and may not, Sophie now identified the woman that she had seen as Alice Crimmins. Iramarski knew Alice from around the neighborhood, and Alice's photo was regularly in the newspaper, so it seems rather odd that in the letter, Iramarski saw her only as a woman with dark hair and was uncertain as to whether the group she had seen was even connected to the Crimmins case. So why wouldn't she say, I saw her, right? Instead right. of saying, yeah, I saw her. Yeah, that's true. Right. If she knew her. Yeah. However, the police were elated by Yermarski's evidence and viewed it as just what they needed to secure an indictment. Using Yermarski's story, the investigators put together a scenario of a murderous mother aided by a man with mob ties. They're watching too many murder mysteries. (laughs) The prosecutor said that Alice felt like her kids were a burden to her life of sex and partying. The police were so busy trying to convict Alice, they they never even looked at another possible suspect. They just had complete blinders on the whole time. I hate when they do that. So, the court case. 
On September 11, 1969, two years and two months after the deaths of Little Missy and Eddie, Alice Crimmins was arrested for first-degree murder of her daughter. She was not charged in her son's death because it couldn't be medically proven that he had been murdered. There was like, because oh, they yeah. couldn't determine it. Alice's, sex- <laughs> Alice's sexual escapades were raked over both for, I bet. for both her flirting. I'm sorry. Alice's sexual escapades were raked over for both their titillation value and as a source of moral outrage. Oh, was it titillating? Titillating. The front page detective, which is a magazine, was a magazine, labeled her, labeled her <laughs> sex pot on trial and described her as an earring wife, a circle, and an a circle and a moral woman whose many affairs appear symptomatic of America's sex revolution. Oh, my God. What's a circle woman? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But like a circle, I guess maybe. I don't know. But like uh, she's like part of a sexual revolution. That's what's wrong with her. So the courtroom trial began in May of 1968, two months before I was born, with Judge Peter Farrell presiding. It was a sensation. It was sensational in the extreme, partially because the sex-related testimony and partly due to Alice's emotional outbursts. The physician who had first inspected Missy's body when it was found in the lot was named Richard Grimes. He testified, I saw the body of a little girl who appeared to be about five years of age. She was dressed in a cotton undershirt and a pair of yellow panties. No! The doctor's recollection was broken by a shout from Alice who began to weep. She was like calling out in the middle of the trial. Judge Farrell demanded order and he told Dr. Grimes to continue. Around the little girl's face there was a cloth tie, Dr. Grimes said. The loose ends of the tie appeared to be the arm of some kind of garment. The tie was over the mouth of the child and the knot encircling the neck and the tie was rather loose. Alice, supposedly a cold and unfeeling Women, woman, sorry, wailed and sobbed uncontrollably during this testimony. I can't even imagine. Well, yeah, I mean. I can't even freaking imagine. I can't either. So a few spectators started crying with her and the judge put the court in recess. Sophie Iramarski may have been the trial's most dramatic witness. Can you imagine? On direct direct examination by prosecutor James Mosley, she told how she had seen a woman carrying a bundle a man and a little boy on a sleepless night in the window. He took the bundle and he swung the bundle under his arm. And as he walked very quickly to the car, Iramarski testified in the court. As the courtroom listened in hushed anticipation, he took this bundle and threw it in the backseat of the car. She ran over to him and said, my God, don't do that to her. (laughs) Which she never said before. And then he looked at her and said, now you're sorry? And then she said, please don't say that. This is all new stuff. She yeah, never said this the yeah. other two times. When they asked if she recognized the woman in the courtroom, Iramarski didn't hesitate. She pointed an accusing finger to Alice and said, that's the woman. Alice jumped to her feet and screamed, you liar, you liar. Alice continued, you liar, you liar, you liar, you liar. Judge Farrell pounded his gavel and demanded Alice get a grip on herself. <laughs> I wouldn't, man. I'd be like, I'm going to hurt somebody. One of Alice's attorneys, Martin Barron, tried to point out the inconsistencies between the stories she related to the jury and what she had told the grand jury. And, and, you know, like totally different stories, yeah, right? right? Yeah. However, just... Sophie was very popular in the courtroom audience, most of them who were strongly convic- convinced of Alice's guilt. So the spectators often laughed or even applauded at Sophie's answers until the judge hushed them. What the hell? Yeah. Next, Joe Rorick takes the stand. Remember, remember, he was working with the cops now because, you know, he didn't want to be he didn't want to be. Oh, outed, that's right. right. Yeah. Yeah. So in court, Joe said that Alice said that she would rather see her kids dead than let Eddie have them. And the kids would have to forgive her for keeping them from Eddie. And Joe said that one day Alice told him, Joe, I'm sorry I killed her. Alice jumped up and yelled, Joe, you snake, you're a liar. The judge pounded the gavel again and demanded order. The medical examiner determined the kids died before 930 the night they went missing. The detectives were putting so much pressure on Joe. So the medical examiner, remember, said they died between 10 and like 4 in the morning or something like that. But now the medical examiner is saying, oh, no, they died at 930. So the neighbors were suspicious of Sophie's story because they knew she was a bit unbalanced. 
she was always she was like an exaggerator and like kind of a storyteller. Yeah, so all the neighbors sounds were like, like a... whatever. So there was a there was a um, teacher who wrote to the police and said that she was conflicted about this, but she had a patient. Um, she had a student who had mentioned the murders to her and mentioned that they were involved in the murders. Oh, but the God. patient ended up committing suicide. It was somebody that was had a, a mental illness. Yeah. And this teacher even said that this person admitted it to a priest, too. Oh, wow. And they were like, don't worry about it. We already got our killer. We're good. So at her first trial, Alice took the witness stand in her own defense. One of her attorneys took her through her background and marital troubles. She strongly denied that she had ever confessed to killing Missy to Joe Rourke. When the questions turned to her children, Alice began to shake uncontrollably, and tears began streaming down her heavy, made-up face. Judge Farrell declared a recess, but the trial had to be postponed until the next day because Alice fainted. This was 1968, when the sexual revolution was in its infancy, and the working-class people of Queens were outraged by active non-marital sex, especially by a woman. Oh, my God. What was wrong with her? She's just a hussy. The prosecutor, Lombardino, established that Alice knew a fellow named Carl Andrade Andrade, and that he had visited her at 1 a.m. during her separation from Eddie when the children were in their room sleeping. So the detective, Lombardino, where specifically in your apartment was Andrade? Alice, in my bedroom, Lombardino. Where were you, Miss Crimmins? Alice, in the bedroom with him, sir. Lombardino, I see. Did your husband come into the apartment that morning? As previously as previously noted, Eddie Crimmins was often unknown to Alice in the basement of the home, listening to her activities through the wiretaps. She didn't know this at the time. Alice said, yes, he did. Lombardino. What did he do when he got there? Alice Wait a minute. Oh, Lombardino. What did he do when he got there? Alice said, we weren't doing anything at the moment. Lombardino, you weren't doing anything? How was Carl Andre dressed? Alice, he was in a state of undress. Lombardino, will you tell me, will you tell the men of this jury panel what you mean by a state of undress? Alice, just what I said, sir, a state of undress. (laughs) Lombardino, what was your condition of attire? Alice, I was also in a state of undress. Lombardino, <laughs> did your husband see Carl Andrade? Alice, yes, he did. Lombardino, what did he do when he saw Carl Andrade? Alice, they had a scuffle and Eddie chased him out. Lombardino, was Andrade in a state of undress when Eddie chased him? Alice, yes, he was. Lombardino, how did he get his clothing, Miss Crimmins? Alice, I got dressed and brought them out to him. Lombardino, where was he when you brought in the clothes? Alice, in his car. <laughs> in another t- particularly damaging exchange, Lombardino was able to compare the pitiful deaths of her children with the antics of her promiscuous mother. Ugh. Lombardino, does Joe Rourke have a swimming pool? Alice, he does. Lombardino, did you swim in it? Alice, yes, I did. Lombardino, what were you wearing when you swam in Joe Rourke's pool? Alice, one time a bathing suit and one time no bathing suit. Lombardino, and where were your children when when you were swimming in Joe Rourke's pool without a bathing suit? They were dead, Alice said. Oh, God. She left the stand on shaky legs. She knew that she had damaged herself in the eyes of the conservative, old-fashioned men who made up the jury. And indeed, one of the juries, Sam Ulrich, Ulrich, commented to another that the tramp like that is capable of anything. (gasps) Yeah. Oh, my God. Her jury, and I didn't mention this, I kind of just rolled over just now, but it was all white middle-aged men. Yeah, I mean, I assumed. The court audibly gasped. It was was a summation to the jury. The prosecution hypothesized that Alice had killed her daughter in in momentary anger. The jury came back with a verdict of guilty of first degree manslaughter. The shock of the verdict caused Crimmins to collapse to collapse and to lapse into a coma. She was in, j- in the jail hospital for two weeks after her conviction. Are you serious? She went into a coma. I mean, Holy that's like shit. she was to- totally fucking traumatized. Transferred to prison, she became briefly hysterical. Of course she did. I mean, <laughs> yeah. You know, what is it called when a man goes, hy- 
hysterical. Like, uh, nothing. No. There's true. no word for it. Then she appeared to settle down into prison routine. She was assigned to secretarial chores. Her attorneys were soon back in court asking for a mistrial. Three of the jurors, one of them, the Sam Ulrich, quoted above, had made trips to the quant. The crime scene. <laughs> to the crime scene? To the crime scene, despite the judge's warning that they were not allowed to go. Jeez. The court denied the motion for a mistrial and sentenced Crimmins to a prison term of uh, from five to 20 years. So, yeah, so the jury, some of the jurors went to their house where they lived to see if, like, Sophie could have actually seen this oh, and all okay. that stuff. Yeah. But they're not supposed to do that because that's, you know, they're researching it and they're not only supposed to use the evidence that's presented. Yeah, yeah. So, um, Crimmins got a new lawyer, Herbert Lyon, an attorney well-known and well-respected in New York City. It turned out that Lyon and his partner, William Erlbaum, had taken on the case for idealistic reasons. They were completely convinced of her innocence, and that, and they were working free of charge. Oh, awesome. Good name case for them. Lyon asked a Queens County Supreme Court judge for bail on the grounds that there was a good chance that the conviction would not stand. It was granted, and after 24, out, 24 days in prison, Alice was free. The appellate court did not get around to considering an appeal until a year and four months later. So she was free, just like— Yeah, but waiting. Yeah, right. Yeah. So they threw the conviction out, the appeal court did. Oh, they did? Yeah. The, the second trial began— Based on what? It was it was because of the the jury oh, going the jury to the, going yeah. to the okay yeah. all right so the second trial began March 1971 six years after the deaths of her children this time the stakes were even higher than they had been in the first trial because Alice was indicted of both deaths oh god she was charged with first degree murder of her son Eddie and first degree manslaughter in the death of Missy the earlier verdict in Missy's case had it had an effect acquitted her of the girl's murder. So public sentiment had shifted somewhat. Female promiscuity was no longer as shocking as had been over the three years previously. The women's liberation movement was a hot item in 1971, Rose. You know the 70s. They were crazy. (laughs) They were crazy. (laughs) They were crazy. And some early feminists, as well as other observers, believed that Alice was being tried for her sex life and not homicide. The years after her ordeal had taken a toll on Alice. She remained a shapely and she remained a shapely and attractive woman, but she had a haunted, haunted look. She just looked empty. Yeah. She also lost control of herself even more often during her second trial than her first. While prosecutor Thomas Demekos was questioning prospective jurors, he commented, She is presumed to be innocent, but she's not innocent. What the fuck? You can't say that. <laughs> like, what? While he was while he was questioning jurors, like for the jury pool. Oh my god! What the? You can't. So Alice cried out, "I am too innocent. You know I'm innocent." Later, the other prosecutor, Vincent uh, Nikolsky. N- no, no, it's N- N- Nikolsky. N- no, no, S K Y S I. Nikolsky. Okay. Later, the other prosecutor, Vincent. Niolsi or something like that, said his open, in his opening statement that on the last evening of their lives, their mother fed them manicotti. Alice yelled, I did not. Why, why are they obsessed with saying she fed them manicotti? Well, and the thing about the manicotti is that the, that fucking detective says, oh, yeah, I saw a manicotti box in the trash. Did he take a picture of it? Did he gather it as evidence? Is there anything about it? No. It was just what he remembered. Right, yeah. How do you how do you know he didn't remember seeing a manicotti box in like someone else's trash can oh, that he was in their house? So that they're night? they're what they're saying what what presumably happened is that they were taken and fed some kind of pasta? That's what somebody's saying. Did somebody take them, feed them something else? And then, and then kill them. Because they had pasta in their stomachs. Yeah, they did. But she's like, I didn't feed them pasta. But it's just weird that he's like, I just remember seeing it. Why didn't they collect it as evidence? I feel like because he didn't collect it as evidence, they can't, he shouldn't even be able to use it. Right. Oh, this is my memory. Whatever, dude. You're a douchebag. So Eddie now <sighs> now is divorced from Alice, testified in the trial as he had in the last. So I forgot to tell you, in the last trial, they had gotten back together and were oh, trying really? to work things out while she was on trial. Because he believed she didn't do anything. While he said nothing that implicated his ex-wife, he stated that she that he had no feeling for her really. 
Once again, Detective Peering testified, recalling the unrecorded dust on the bureau and the vanished manicotti box in the trash as clearly as before. So he's so he's saying there's dust on the bureau, so the kids didn't go in and out of the window, yeah. even though the screen had fallen out. He also said that um, there was the manicotti box, and so she lied about what she fed them. So he didn't take a picture of the dust either? No. Um, so once again, Sophie Iramarski gave a dramatic testimony about the group that she had supposedly seen from her window. Again, she was asked to identify the woman. Alice Crimmins, she replied. Alice stood and shouted, It is not, you liar, in God's name, tell the truth. The judge gaveled for another, um, for order, (laughs) and Crimmins continued screaming. You liar, you swore to tell the truth up there. Do you even know what the truth is? You're so sick, you don't even know how to tell the truth. Oh, wow. Again, the judge called for Alice to get a grip on herself. (laughs) You're hysterical, lady. (laughs) So the DA asked Iramarski, was it Miss Cribbins you saw out there that night? Just put more drink around. Oh, jeez. I swear to God, Iramarski said. Alice screams. You swear? (laughs) Alice, it wasn't me. I didn't do it. You don't know what God is. Oh, God. The judge declared a recess. (laughs) Once again, Joe, her boyfriend, took the stand to claim that Alice had said, forgive me, Joseph, I killed her. A weeping Alice stood and shouted, you miserable lying worm. She called him a snake last time. Now he's a worm. Now Joe said what he could not say at the first trial when Alice was being tried for the death of the girl only. Joe said, she then said, I didn't want him killed. I agreed to it. (laughs) I mean, Alice is like, what the fuck is he saying now? Yeah. So a surprise witness soon appeared. As the courtroom listened in a stunned silence, a short and skinny housewife named Tina DeVita testified that she had seen a group consisting of a man carrying a bundle, a woman, a dog, and a boy walking on 150th Street. Yeah, I I feel like Alice didn't... She did say there was a dog, but that was... I didn't put that in there. I'm sorry. Alice, um, they... She saw... uh, Let me start over. Well, no, I won't start over. Anyway, um, a woman, a dog, and a boy walking on 150th Street in the area of Regal Gardens Apartments. That's where Alice lived. Alice listened with widened eyes and gasped as she heard this testimony. During a recess, Alice approached reporters to make an obviously desperate plea. She walked up to all the reporters outside and said, I've come here to make an appeal. She was really shaky. Her voice was shaking. She says, I'd like anybody that lived in my neighborhood to come forward. Anybody that lived in my neighborhood who might know something about what happened the night of July 13th or the morning of, Ju- of July 14th. I'm asking for anyone that was out the morning between 1.30 and 2.30. Anybody that saw something or didn't see something. It doesn't make a difference either way because it's just as important to me if they didn't see something or if they did see something. They're coming with new people for me after six years. Now, oh my God. Now I don't know where these people are coming from, but I'm asking for help from my side. Alice's voice cracked, and it seemed like she might collapse into sobs, but she managed to choke the sobs down. I need that help because I didn't kill my children. Anybody that just didn't see anything is just as important to me as someone who might have seen something. I didn't kill my children. I swear I didn't kill them. So they got back into court, and the prosecutors were furious. Oh, I bet. I'm surprised she was allowed to do that. Yeah, she was. uh, Well, it's the first time she's ever spoken out. You think about it. She's never said anything. She had been ordered by the court to refrain from press interviews. The judge warned the lawyers that if she broke that order again, Alice's bail would be revoked, and she'd be slammed behind bars. Oh, wow. The next day, another surprise witness appeared. This time... It was the prosecution side that was stunned by the testimony. Oh. That witness was Marvin Weinstein, a travel agency man- manager who claimed that he had been walking on 153rd Street in the wee hours on July 14, 1965. He had been visiting a friend named Anthony King. Who was with you? Lyon asked. My wife, my son, my daughter, and my dog, Weinstein said. Oh. 
He went on to say that his son was three and a half, and at this time his daughter was two years old. Weinstein had carried his little girl in his arms, wrapped in a blanket. Weinstein's wife appeared in the courtroom, and she bore uh, more than a passing resemblance to Alice Cruz. Oh, wow. For this trial, Alice didn't take the stand. In his closing argument, Thomas D'Amico's was no less passionate. So, and that was like the the witness um, saying that it was her walking. Is she was like the probably the 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 nail in the coffin, for right? Sure. The yeah. nail in the coffin. So, absolutely, yeah. And she had that. That's huge for her. Yeah. So he told the jury she doesn't have enough courage to stand up here and tell the world she killed her daughter. That's what the prosecutor oh, said. Jeez. And she yelled out because I didn't kill my daughter. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm not shocked that she's yelling out. I'm more shocked that people sit there being accused of shit and don't say anything. Like, I don't think I'd be able to stop myself from it, it yelling out. It would be out. so hard, especially if it was, you know, your kids. Yeah. Anybody, for that matter, but your kids. And there's, like, saying that you did all this shit well, to your kids. Well, the fact that they, she knows that they didn't even investigate anybody else. Yeah. So the jury came back with the harshest possible verdict. Oh, God. Guilty of first-degree murder in Eddie, Junior's death, and first-degree manslaughter in that of Missy. Many in the courtroom burst into tears. Alice sobbed, dear God, no, please, dear God. Her mother, Alice Burke, cried out. Her mother's Alice, too, by the way. What the fuck? <laughs> Sweet Jesus, no, not again. John Burke, her brother, said she didn't kill her children. She didn't kill them. Her ex-husband, Eddie, cried, this isn't justice, as tears streamed down his cheeks. It's so sad. That is sad. So Herb Lyon appeared stunned in defeat her lawyer, saying, I guess I convinced everyone but the jury. The second trial of Alice Crimmins ended and Alice went to prison for what was assumed to be the rest of her life. She served more than two years behind bars when she was released in 1973. (gasps) The appellate division of the Supreme Court in Brooklyn reversed her conviction in Eddie Jr.'s case, ruling that there was no evidence in the murder. Yeah. I mean, they didn't present they didn't have anything. Any, nothing. No evidence. Nothing. There's no evidence in the entire case. There's no evidence that he was even murdered. Right. So also, they also reversed the manslaughter conviction in Missy's case because D'Amico's assertion that she doesn't have the courage to stand up and tell the world that she killed her daughter suggested that a defendant who exercised the right to refrain from testifying was admitting guilt. So he totally, oh, yeah, raked yeah. her over the coals. The DA appealed both rulings. In the meantime, Alice was free on a $25,000 bail. Then in February of 1975, the Court of Appeals upheld the reversal of the murder conviction, but reinstated the manslaughter conviction and sent her back to prison. Oh, God. I mean, this is the third time now. That's awful. Even that was not the end of the Alice Crimmins case. In 1977, a New York tabloid broke the story that she was participating in a work release program and... Like other inmates in the program, she was allowed every other weekend free. She had also been permitted to marry Tony Grace. They remained married until his death in 1998. The newspaper showed Alice Grace with her husband on board a yacht because Tony had money. He had the boat. Oh, yeah. He had all that money. The next day, its cover featured another picture of furloughed Miss Grace about to step into her husband's white Cadillac. Not convertible. New York. <laughs> That's so funny. New York politicians cried out that she should not be paroled. But in November of 1977, after more than three years of imprisonment, she was released. Although free, she still wanted vindication. But her appeal for, further, for a new trial was denied, and the courts ruled that she could appeal no further. A close, objective look at the matter shows that, despite two convictions, the guilt of Alice Crimmins remains problematic. For one thing, the case was solved, I put in air quotes, with major loose ends dangling. There's no, it's not solved at all. You mean italics? Not italics. (laughs) Air quotes. Um, According to the prosecutor's own theory of the crime, the mother could only have murdered with the help of at least two accomplices. Yet no one else was even there or charged with, much less even tried in connection with the deaths. Right. Like, how is she going to do that all by herself? Yeah, and nobody saw her, like, dragging a body out of her house? Mm. Right, especially her husband's watching her until 2.45 yeah, in the morning. Yeah, and who's the man she's with? Exactly. That, well, no, he what, wasn't there that night. No, they. the neighbor said that she was with a man and he threw the... Oh, that wasn't the night of the murders. That was just a night after the kids had died. She had a guy over and her husband was listening. No, to I'm talking about the, the neighbor who said she saw her walking with the bundle of um, oh, 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 yeah. Yeah, what's, yeah, sheets and stuff. Yeah. Who was yeah. that man supposed to be? Did they ever say that? 
that was the man that I told you. Who? The man said that it was him and his wife walking. No, down. but who in that in in the neighbor's story? Who was the man supposed to be? Did they ever say oh, that? Oh, they were saying it was Eddie. I guess. Oh, I don't know. They never said. Oh, so no, 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 no. They weren't saying it was Eddie. They were thinking it was it was Joe because he's like or one of his mob guys. Because they oh, were, yeah. okay, yeah. Sorry, I was totally missing what you were saying. So, um, so according to the prosecution's own theory of crime, the mother could have only murdered with the help of at least two accomplices. Yet no one else was even charged, much less even tried in connection with the deaths. The Irish Catholic cops were disgusted by her and the fact that she loved sex and didn't stay home and cry alone after her kids died. Why would she wear makeup and dress nice every day, Rose? What would she do that for? She was accused of being a bad person, basically. Yeah. Um, the, and I told you about the jury. Being, Alice made herself very scarce after the trial. She and Tony moved to Florida. One time she said, my grief is mine. I'm not going to grieve for anyone. It's mine. and They can't have it. Her whereabouts at this point is unknown. I mean, she still could be alive. Yeah. Um, so a couple things about the case. So there are several books written about it, several. And uh, there was um, a crime show, a series um, that was written about it. And it was like the first episode. Then there's other crime shows, like in other episodes. And then there's like a couple books and there's a bunch of different stuff about it. But people compare her to Susan Smith and to Casey Anthony. Oh, really? Yeah. Which one was Susan Smith? Susan Smith was the one that she was driving the car into. She drove the car into the lake with her two little boys. Oh, God, I remember that. Yeah. Ugh, it was so gross. Um, but so one of the things. So he, there's a couple things about her husband. So first, her husband had. Admit- I can totally see through your shirt, by the way. I know. I don't care. I thought you'd like it. Oh, my God. You're such a hoe. I don't care. I don't care. Why didn't you just come over naked? Well, I could have, but. Christian would have been grossed out, I'm sure. <laughs> very uncomfortable. I don't know. It's a style now, Rose. <laughs> Is it? Yeah, very much so. Okay. Get with the time. I'm start wearing my bra around. Go ahead. Do it. I double dog dare you. Okay. Okay. I'll do it tomorrow to work. Okay. Oh, right. You're not working, Oh, yeah. Me. I'm not working. Tomorrow. Anyway, so um, while she was, they were back together, her and Eddie. Yeah. And she was, like, going through all this stuff. He said to her, he was like, you know, you're not such a bad person. He admitted to her that he had been, he had exposed himself to two young girls at the park. (gasps) And she was like, what? Yeah. So not the bad enough that he was, like, stalking her and spying on her. And they didn't do anything about that. And Yeah. And so whatever. But then also. um, What the fuck? So there was, so the detective, if he would have. Okay. So. If there was so when when Alice was cleaning the night that the kids disappeared, she was mm-hmm. cleaning her house because she was expecting somebody from the courts to come. Yeah. Right. So she had cleaned the whole house. Well, she had taken the screen down because there was a little hole in it and she was going to fix it. So or she would put a new one up or something. And she went to put the new one up and something didn't work correctly. So she put the old one back in the window and she said, OK, I'll have to make sure I fix that. Yeah. So there's a little hole in it. And so that's why the, the screen wasn't in so great because it. it OK. So. um Anyway, so if there was a dresser in front of the window and she took the screen out and then put a screen back in, don't you think she would have disturbed the dust on the dresser that night? Yeah. So this whole thing of dust being on the dresser is total bullshit. Okay. How would she have not? And she was also cleaning the shit out of her house. You don't think she would have dusted the top of the the dresser? In the kid's room where the guy might be looking? Yeah. And um, and then her husband... Also had, like, you know, he wasn't interested in her, like, having sex with her. Right. But he didn't want anyone else to have sex with her. And then he showed himself. So it's very weird. So I listened to another podcast about this woman who's, like, a a psychic, I guess, or something. A medium. And she said, I was, like, totally confused. I didn't know that she was a medium. And she's like, well, what I'm seeing is I feel like Eddie Jr. is telling me. And I'm like... What is she fucking talking about? So I'm like rewinding it and rewinding it. Because like, you know me, I half listen anyway. And then I'm like, oh, she's like immediate. I was like, what do you mean Eddie Jr. told you? What are you talking about? I was so confused. But anyway, she says, and you know, you can take this with a grain of salt if you believe that stuff or not. But she said that she said that they were taken from the window. He would that that Eddie Jr. told her that they were taken from the window and they were brought someplace where they weren't scared, but they wanted to go home. 
Okay. And um, so then she said some other stuff. So it's it sounds more and more like Eddie took them. I feel like he took them to get even with her. And then he felt bad she was being blamed. But I feel like in that case, he would have just blamed her. Like, he would have been like, yeah, I think she did it too. Well, he had no reason to because they weren't even looking at him. That's true. I mean, they, he took a lie detector and passed it. But it, only after he took, read a but whole bunch of books it, about it. But if it was prov- proven that she didn't do it, then they might look at him. He, he just... They never even looked at him past that first day. Yeah. Never. Nothing. I mean, he said that he was at her house at, at 2.45, but then the movie that he said he watched was not at the same time. Yeah, that's weird. Um, it You know, there's all these different things. And I mean, maybe he was watching porn and he didn't want to tell him. It doesn't matter. He was. He said that he was... He said that he was... Um, but, I mean, he does sound creepy as fuck. I mean, he's, like, stalking yeah. her and then he exposes himself to little girls like what the fuck yeah so i don't know i don't know i don't know if they were little he said young but i don't know like how young so it was it's just it's so sad i really don't think she did it i really don't because i think that i don't know i think at a certain point do do you think she would have given up i don't know in like in court just like yelling i do think it's like weird and i think maybe she's just very vain or something but like the fact that she's in the cop car as her sh- children are missing and she's sitting there putting on makeup. Yeah, but she was super, super con- self-conscious about her. I don't care. Like, I'm sorry, but if your kids, like, if I woke up and my girls were gone, I I, I wouldn't even be able to, like, think straight. I know. Think I know, enough but, to put makeup on. But like, I know, but I think that... I, I don't think that we can pretend to understand how she was feeling. Because my thought is she's putting on the makeup because it's a routine thing. And it's the only normal thing in her life right now. Because she never went out without makeup ever, ever, ever. Yeah. So she was Maybe doing, it was like the only control she could have over right, the Right. So she was doing a routine thing that maybe was comforting. And then when she was in the back of the police car, she didn't know where she was going. He's like, I want to, I want to show you something or whatever. He, she had no idea. But there's fucking media everywhere snapping her picture every five minutes. So she was like touching up her makeup in the back of the car. But but I just can't. Like, I, I still, honestly, I cannot. I honestly don't. Is it like for her touching up her makeup? Is that like somebody else smoking a cigarette? Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I mean, you might be right on that. So I don't know. I don't, I, I hate to think, you know, I, cause I'm with you as far as like my, my makeup, I would not give two shits about my makeup. Yeah. Right. But I also don't have a bunch of scars on my face that I'm super self-conscious of. Well, actually. Shut up. <laughs> Just the one. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I think it's weird, but I, I don't think she killed them. I just think that that's super weird that she would do that. Yeah. I mean, it's. But you might be right. It might be like, like it would be like if. I started cleaning my house. They would be like, what the fuck are you doing? And I'd yeah. be like, it's the only like well, sense of control I have. And it's something I'm used to doing. The day after, well, when, when they brought her to find Missy, that night her mother came to her house and they didn't do anything. They didn't talk or anything. They just started cleaning and they both cleaned the house like top to bottom. She said her hands were like raw the yeah. next morning. They didn't sleep. They didn't do anything. They just scrubbed the house top to bottom. Yeah. Because they were just so like it was their way of coping. Right. So... I don't know. It's just, it's a really fucked up story. But my mom said it was like all over the news. It is fucked up. And the fact that they never found out who did it. Well, there was like the kid who admitted it. The kid that had mental mental health issues that admitted it. They never even looked, they never even looked into him. They didn't go to his home and investigate like, did he have stuff that could have like. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's crazy. But how would he have gotten the only thing I can figure is that maybe the kids went out the window and then they met their demise outside the window, right? So, like, they climbed out like they had before. Oh. And then some instead of so somebody... Was, was she, did the little girl go to sleep in her underwear? Like, did was she just in her underwear when she went to sleep or... They, I didn't read that anywhere. Okay, so you don't she know. She had, like... Yeah. So like, she, like, it's weird that somebody would undress her. Yeah, but well, so she they... was not sexually assaulted at all. Yeah, that's... The only thing they found is her sphincter was, like open more than they would have expected but they don't know they couldn't at the time couldn't prove that that wasn't just a product of the liver mortis setting in her body they had no idea but that she had no signs of sexual abuse which then makes me think maybe it was the dad or a teenager who was like oh easy target you know yeah and i want to kill someone maybe he maybe he assaulted the boy but there was not they couldn't 
Oh, yeah. You know, I don't know. That's true. But, I mean, somebody admitted to doing it, and they didn't even look into it. Yeah. So this this person that admitted it also was somebody who was always out and about, like in like on this, you know, out and like walking around and stuff like that yeah. in the neighborhood. And after the kids went missing, he like became a recluse, never went back out well, of the, the house. Well, the fact that he just and then he killed himself is right. Even more, and so like, wouldn't the cops concerning. at least go to his house and like look through his stuff? Just yeah. nothing. They did nothing. It's so irresponsible. It is. It's so irresponsible because then they could have had a, a, a you know, they could have completed the, the investigation. Yeah, but they don't care about no, that. No, but they didn't like her because she yeah. was, you know, fast and loose and they, they were like, in, eh, yeah. yeah. They had it she, in their head from the start that it was her. All these good Catholic cops. Fuckers. Yeah. Oh, that's disgusting. Ugh, it's so gross. Thanks for that, Lynn. Much You're welcome. appreciated. I'm sorry. Thanks, Mom. <laughs> it was. It was. It was a very interesting story to write. It was had a lot. There was a lot of information yeah, out there. Um, but it was it, it. It really pissed me off more than anything. Thank you for that, Rose. It really pissed me off more than anything. So I just think that I. I honestly don't feel like she did it, but I feel like they lost the opportunity to figure out who did it. Oh, for they just sure. Fucking yeah. gave up, and we're like, oh, it's her. We don't care. Like, and, that, and now I'm thinking. I wonder if the target was the boy. And so they just got rid of the girl early, and then they took the boy and yeah. did something to him, and then yeah. killed him because he was wrapped in something. He was wrapped in like a blue blanket, and they, they like, never said anything about the blanket being affiliated yeah. to the house or anything. So I wonder if that's what happened if they kept the boy and did something to him, and then. But it seems like based on the the you know the decomposition of his body that, that he, he was, was killed around killed the same time. Fa- yeah, that's but, so weird. I mean, it could have just been a couple hours difference, yeah, not days or anything. So I don't know. I, I don't know. I just think it's really fucked up. I think the whole thing's so fucked up. I it think is. Sophie Iramarski should have gone to jail, but yeah, for sure. What a bitch! I can't even imagine doing that to somebody. Wouldn't that be horrible? And probably all just for attention, you know? Oh, of course. Sounds like it for her completely. Yeah. So oh, if you like that. <laughs> Actually, we'd love to hear what you guys think of it. If you want to slide into our DMs or comment on the post that comes out with this um, next Thursday, uh, give us some feedback. What do you think? Do you think she did it? Do you think there's someone else? What do you think? I hope I told the story well enough. Um, you did. You did a great job. Thanks, Rose. I didn't yawn one time. Oh, you didn't really either. We tend to yawn a lot in here because we have no oxygen. We have no oxygen. <laughs> but so if you guys want to give us a shout out or share our post, we'd love that. Um, we are No Ordinary Women Pod on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. And on the X or whatever the fuck they call it now, Twitter used to be. The social media former known as formerly known as Twitter is No Ord O R D Women Pod. Give us a shout out, y'all. Bye. Bye.